Welcome to the fourth episode of Ability. I'm your host, Jacob Holt. For this episode, I talked to Kali Gagenheimer. It's a really great episode. I'm really proud of it. It was a lot of fun to make. I'll let Kali speak for herself. Let's jump right in. So good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's it's good to be here. Better late than never on my end. <laughs> I was just a little late. So tell me about your disability. Well, I have a disorder called mucopolysaccharidosis type 1, Hurler-Shays. Um, it's NPS for short. It's a genetic disorder that is very life-threatening and very rare. Um, I'm missing an enzyme in my body that's supposed to break down sugar molecules. And since I'm missing that enzyme, I have to take a weekly infusion to help replace that enzyme to get rid of all the gags, which are the sugar molecules. Pretty much the sugar molecules, they collect around everything in the body, like joints, bones, organs, everything is practically suffocating the affected person on the inside. Um, I was not supposed to live to see 16 years old. And that's what the doctor told me whenever I first got diagnosed at the age of 11, um, because they wasn't for sure if I would get approved for treatment right off. And they said, if I went without treatment, um, I would die at 16. But if I went on and got on treatment, I would not live to see my 20s. And I would be completely bound to a wheelchair and very dependent on someone. Um, And I wouldn't get to walk the line at my graduation. But thankfully, none of those have come true yet. I am 21 now, and I got to walk the line at my high school graduation, and I'm fixing to walk the line for my associate's degree at SkyTech. So that's a plus. (laughs) That's really awesome. I now know what it's like. See, I have osteogenesis imperfecta type 3, and I now know what it's like when I say say that to someone and they roll and their eyes roll back in their head. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, well, congrats on, you know, walking in graduation, and congrats on getting your degree. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been a struggle, to say the least, bouncing between school and doctors and treatments. It's been a heck of a roller coaster ride, but I'm not done yet. I'm actually going to Western in the spring to do my bachelor's of exercise science degree to where I can become a personal trainer and use that as a bridge to go into physical therapy. I know what it's like to spend hours on end in a chair getting stuff pumped into you. So I do have... uh some sense of how that is. It's not fun. Yeah, I'd say it's not fun at all. I hate, I mean, even when I'm at treatment, I hate being, like, pretty much mobilized. Like, I'm stuck here, immobilized in this one recliner, and it sucks. I'm stuck here for, like, five hours, five to six hours. Do they at least have an easy time finding a vein? Um, I actually have a port um, on my side, that they access every week to where I can do my IV treatment through it so they don't have to constantly poke my veins. That's a much better system. Yeah, it's a lot easier. And um, with my hands and stuff, like my third treatment, they was actually trying to access me through just my normal veins. I hadn't got a port yet, and my vein actually blew. And that was when we decided to go ahead and just get the port, and it was a lot simpler since then. My veins have a habit of dodging out of the way, so you go to get it. And it <laughs> yeah, them pesky veins. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, they roll out of the way, so uh, it's fun times on my end. Thankfully, I've never had to have infusions often enough to where I've needed a port, thankfully, but it it, it, it has been a struggle at times. You know, they've had to, you know, call on people that I didn't know existed to come and stick me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it is a pain in the butt. I mean, I love having my port. If it wasn't for that, it it would be a struggle every week to have the treatment because there's no telling if my vein would actually be strong enough to constantly do it every week. So I know your pain. It, it sucks. So what was it like for you growing up? It was, at first, I thought, you know, I was a normal kid and life was going to be grand and easy and I was going to grow older and I actually wanted to be a lawyer, believe it or not, whenever I was actually growing up um, because my parents always said I was one of the best arguers of the family and I would be good at that profession, but I don't think I could do it now by no means. Um, But I grew up, you know, being as normal as I possibly could until I, you know, got diagnosed at the age of 11 and it whenever I got diagnosed it hit really hard um I felt like my life had crumbled that you know my aspiring dreams of actually having a good profession having a family was down the drain you know I thought you know this was my end I ended up writing my funeral arrangements for my parents when I was 12 years old uh, to help you know if I did die put me in the ground a little bit easier on them um, but, you know, as I have grown up, it's been a whole whirlwind of emotions. I've, you know, from like maybe 11 to 15 or 11 to 16, I was very down, uh, practically immune. I mean, I talked with my friends, but I didn't do nothing outside of school. Really, whenever it comes to social activities, going and hanging out or doing much of anything, uh, it wasn't up until maybe freshman, sophomore year, I actually started to go to, like, a lot of the school-related events. Like, I was in beta clubs, so I traveled with them when we got to travel. I went uh, a lot to the school football games and started actually opening back up and spending time with my friends because I realized that this disorder isn't going to be the death of me. And I was going to live my life and be as happy as I can be and not let it take over. So um, growing up, it was tough because I couldn't really, you know, I can't open bottles or cans or nothing like that. I have to have someone assist me or I'll actually go and take like a little spoon and pop the lid on a Coke can uh, if I don't have no one around. Uh, I have trouble buttoning things. I have, you know, minor issues like that. Um, I have to rely on someone to drive me at nighttime because I have, you know, the visual impairment with the clouded corneas from the gags collecting in my cornea. So I can't see at night to drive or actually do anything. Like I have to have people tell me when to step up and step down. And it's really a hassle. And I feel like I'm burdening people when it comes to that. But I've learned that, like, my true friends and family will help me regardless of what's going on. But uh, I don't know. It's been just a roller coaster ride. I will tell you that. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot more positivity has come out of it now that I've gotten older and realized that the things that are my troubles are also my strengths, if that makes any kind of sense. Like, I'm overcoming a lot of different adversities that a lot of people don't have to deal with. So it's it strengthens me in the long run. What was it like uh, telling your friends about your condition? It was hard. Um, because at first I wanted to kind of stay quiet about it. Like I didn't want them to think I was any different than them. And I've never wanted to be looked at any different because of what I have, or I have to do things different. Like when we go play ball, 
I have to, you know, the way I swing my bat or uh, catch the ball in the mitt, I have to do things a little different. And I didn't want them to, like, try and, uh, I guess the best way you can say it is look at me any different or do anything different in that sense. Um, I wanted to try and be viewed as normal as possible. So I held off on telling a few of my friends about what I had for at least, you know, a few months. Because it is hard going up to your friends that, and you know, like your best friends, your wife and everything, and going and saying, hey, I'm probably going to die one day because I found out I have this genetic disorder. Yay me. Um, but I ended up breaking down and telling them, and everyone that I've talked to about it has been so supportive of me. And it's that's also helped a lot as I grew up, is having a major support system uh, with my friends and family. And even the school system has helped out a lot, too. So it was hard, but it wasn't as hard as what I imagined it to be whenever I first told everyone about it. Yeah, I'm really not a fan of that first conversation of telling someone, like, here is what is wrong with me. I just, I, I, I feel there's a lot of... Um, assuming and things that go on in those in, in those situations. I'm, I'm not a big fan. There have been times where I've just said, like, hi, my name is Jacob. I can't walk. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. just to kind of get that out of the way. Can we move past it now, please? Yeah. Yeah, and it is, it's really hard when you do that first confrontation about it. Like, I mean, I, I will never be able to understand your pain, and I hate that. Like, But, I mean, I feel for you on the disability level. Because it is hard going to someone and saying, hey, I'm so-and-so, and and this is what I got going on. Okay, now that's out of the way. Let's go have fun. Because it makes it kind of awkward at first, but then again, it also maybe strengthens your friendship. Like, you can tell who's here for you and who's not when it comes down to a hard situation like that. What brings me joy? Oh, my gosh. My family, my friends, uh, working out, listening to music, music. Pretty much, there's just about anything that can, but really being around my family, my friends, uh, my boyfriend is the biggest thing for me to bring me joy um, and working out. Like, those are the main things. Like, working out has helped me out a lot, and it's like my stress reliever. Like, when I know I'm going to the gym, I am so happy. And uh, when I get to hang out with, you know, my boyfriend and friends and family, it just it's all kind of like the same feeling. That's my biggest joys. And helping others is also a big one, too. If you're going to be a student at Western, they have a big gym you'll be able to use. Oh, I know. I'm excited. Uh, actually, Shannon and her sister Colleen showed me where the gym was uh, a couple weeks ago when we went to WKU. So I was so excited when I seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice gym. I like to give them a hard time that they never check to see if I'm a student when I come in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because yeah, normally definitely. you go in, you show them your student ID, and you go. They they never ask for us to see my student ID. Thank <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you. So I'm going to be going there when I'm 30, just because I can. So they're not going to check. Anyway. Hey, you're uh, a forever student. That's the way I look God, at I it. hope not. Please, for <laughs> love of God, I hope not. I'd like to graduate before I'm dead. Uh, what adaptations have you had to make to the world around you? I know you've mentioned like using a spoon to open a soda can. Um, man, okay, I've 
it's hard whenever actually you get asked that question. It's really hard to sit down and actually think um, about everything. Um, you know, like like I said, using like the spoon for the Coke can. Um, I actually, I can't even cut my own food. I have to have, uh, like, if my mom or dad or boyfriend or friends are with me, I have to have them cut, like, if we eat steak, I have to have them cut my steak for me because I can't hold utensils correctly because I have uh, clawed hands, um, which aren't, you know, they're not normal. And it causes a lot of issues with my grip. So I can't really hold a knife and a fork and try and cut through anything. Um, Actually, when I was younger, before I was diagnosed and taken treatment, whenever I'd eat a sandwich, I would lay my sandwich on the top part of my hand to eat it because I couldn't actually hold the sandwich a normal way. But now I've kind of like grown accustomed to it, so I'll like actually wrap it up a little bit in like a paper towel or something, and that helps me grab onto it because it makes it like a little bit thicker on the sides to hold onto it, if that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, it's just little things like that that I have to accommodate for. Man, I went. I cannot believe I went completely mind blank on a lot of the things that I have to do different. I guess because it's such a natural response now. I am so sorry. It's all right. I got time. I was just, just sitting here kind of just letting you think through it. It's hard to think of the things that you use that are out of the ordinary after you do it so long. This is just your life. It is the ordinary now. You know, it's kind of hard to imagine life before or life differently in a way. I, I completely get that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really hard, um, especially when it's like it's your normal, but to someone else it's not normal for them. So it really is hard thinking back on things that are, I mean, there's different things that I've had to overcome, like with um, winter coming up. Like there's constantly a dryer running that has a blanket in it. Because if I'm not staying warm and not wrapped up in, like, a warm blanket or anything, I stiffen up so bad that it's under, like, I cannot move. It's just really hard, and it hurts. Like, that was one of my biggest things when I was a kid, actually, growing up in elementary school. I thought that every kid, you know, dealt with having to be wrapped up in multiple blankets during the wintertime and would get to miss school because they couldn't move. I just thought that was normal. But come to find out later on I was completely wrong about it um that's one of the accommodations that I have to deal with is constantly having like either a bunch of layers of clothes on or a blanket around me at all times during the winter what has your relationship been like with your parents I have fantastic parents uh I know whenever I you know got diagnosed it was really hard on them you know to have to face the fact that you know they have a kid that's you know got to go through what I have to go through of treatments doctors multiple surgeries as I grow up and you know possibly even dying um I know it was really hard on them but they never showed that kind of emotion to me they never acted any different since I was diagnosed as they did before I was ever diagnosed my mom gets a little like over motherly like with me lifting weights she's like don't lift too heavy. I don't want you to hurt yourself, but I think that's kind of a normal mom thing. Um, but my relationship with my parents is, you know, it's fantastic. I have some of the best parents around, and I'm thankful for them because they've helped me out a lot. If you could have any job, if education, cost, a physical ability were not a factor, just pure enjoyment, what would you like to do? 
probably actually what I'm going into now, personal training and physical therapy, because I'm actually going to use either one of them for my dream job if I could ever get it, is I'll either be a personal trainer or a physical therapist for the Indianapolis Colts. I love sports, and the Indianapolis Colts is my team, and I would love to work for them one day. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Who inspires you? Oh my gosh, that's a hard one because everyone I've encountered has inspired me in some manner. You know, a lot of the other um, kids that are uh, affected by MTS, like myself, a lot of other kids and adults, they truly inspire me because, you know, I see them, like whether it's on Facebook or whenever I go to my yearly meetings to see everyone, and I see them just all smiling and happy and just remembering that, you know, this disease isn't as horrible as what doctors make it out to be and that things are going to be okay they're all very inspiring to me I don't know that's really hard I don't have just one specific person I could really say that inspires me truly it's just everyone I've encountered you know like Shannon and Colleen you know what they have to battle with their vision you know they inspire me for you know what all they do and go through themselves and then you know everyone else with NPS I can't necessarily say I have any one famous person that inspires me. It's all mainly like local and, you know, just my normal friends and family and people that I encounter on a daily basis that do. They help keep me driven and my mind on the prize. What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? To be honest, the biggest challenge is getting the fear of death out of my head. Um... Because that was something that, you know, getting hit as practically like a preteen was very hard to understand and grasp. I mean, overcoming a lot of the adversities was hard, you know, like having to change my routine up from going to school every day to only going four times a week because I have a, you know, a six to eight hour treatment. Things like that, that things are good to overcome and easy, I guess, easier to overcome. But my main challenge that I've had is conquering the fear of death. Because it haunted me for years. And it still kind of creeps up every now and then. But I've learned that, you know, death's going to happen. It doesn't necessarily have to be related to what I have going on. It's just, it's there. It'll happen regardless. Um, But I've come to grasp it. I've come to, you know, if I was to die today or tomorrow, I would be happy with where I'm at in my life. I am good you know I've accomplished things that I never thought I would and you know that's just I would say that's the hardest challenge I've overcome. I know you mentioned that it still creeps up from time to time but what was the learning like through that what was the was there kind of a was there one moment where it clicked where you know you finally you know felt like you had gotten through it? Yeah, um, I guess just as I gotten older with it and understand, I understood more about uh, life and MPS is just a disorder. It's a part of me. It's not all of me is when it really clicked is when I understood that, you know, I still have my friends and family that love me regardless of what I have going on in my life and they're there for support and it, it finally just come to the head of, you know, death's going to happen. It can take me. I could go outside and walk out in the street and get hit by a car and that be an accident. 
you know, hopefully, to goodness, that does not happen. But if it does, I mean, it's, NPS isn't going to be the thing to kill me. And I've, I've said that from the get-go. It's just the moment I realized that NPS is not the whole me, it's just a tiny part of who I am, is when it really clicked. How do you think people see you? Like I said, I mean, I've been told that, you know, I've inspired other others, you know, that they, you know, they see the strength inside me. They constantly see me happy and stuff like that. But, you know, I just hope when people look at me and they see what I'm going through is, is they see someone that's happy and they see someone that, you know, doesn't have a care in the world that is living my life to the fullest. And, you know, just, I want them to know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel that no matter what they're struggling with, they're battling anything, that it'll be okay. It's hard, but it'll be okay. You know, like my grandma and mom and everyone's always told me, God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. And I truly believe that. And he will bring you through it. And uh, I just, that's what I hope. I just want people to understand to never give up and to stay strong when they look at me and I hope that's the, what, what they can take out of things is just to never give up. So how do you wish people would see you? As normal as possible. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want them to look at me and think of MPS. I want them to look at me as a normal, you know, 20 year old girl out here having fun, you know, just living my life and someone that they can come to and, when they need me, if they need advice, they need whatever. I just wish people could see me as that, as a normal friend. Do you have any siblings? Nope, I'm the only child. Actually, my mom and dad always called me a miracle baby because they told my parents that they could never have kids. Being a miracle baby is a lot of pressure. I didn't quite appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me I'm a miracle too? Now what? (laughs) What is it like traveling? with MPS? Uh, it's really fun, um, to say the least, because you do get to see the world in um, different places, but it is also kind of difficult because you have to make sure you have all your medicines that you take on a daily basis, and then you got to work your trips around your doctors. Well, your doctors around your trips, whichever way you want to flip that. But um, because I have, with the treatment I have once a week, there's a lot of times when we travel, I miss a treatment. So I have to consider, okay, well, I'm going to miss treatment now. This is what I need to do. And it's just a lot of preparation for traveling. But in all, it is kind of fun because, you know, you get to see different parts of the world. Do you have any other preparations that you have to do? You have to get your medicines in order, your doctor's appointments reworked? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, like, I have a trip coming up next weekend, so I'll be missing my infusion, but I'll, I have had to rearrange one of my doctor's appointments that I was going to have next Friday. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a lot of times, like, some of these trips will just pop up, and, you know, I get to go, I get to go, and I have to rearrange my doctors. Um, like, anytime if I fly, I have to have all of my medical records, like, um, pretty much doctor stuff saying, okay, yeah, she has this. You know, she has MPS1, she has, you know, a leaky heart valve, she has this, has that. Uh, because when I go through the metal detector, I have to have a signed thing from the doc- 
doctor saying, you know, she has a metal plate in her leg because I had a surgery uh, three years back and I have a metal plate, four screws in the bracket in my right hip. So I have to always give that out to the security there at um, the airports whenever I fly. Do you get the complimentary pat down? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to avoid the pat down. <laughs> that's my yeah. that's my way to avoid it. I've only flown twice, but I had to be patted down. So, because I can't go through the metal detector. Yeah, the airplane, like going through the airports are not as fun as what some people apparently say they are. Like I've had people say, oh, I love flying. I love going through the airports. They're so fun. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> Like I find stressful. that the people that say that, you know, like only fly like, you know, once every couple of years. Like it's fun yeah. because I, you know, because you only fly, you know, twice a year, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as it's not as fun. It's kind of stressful. And especially if you're going through there with a disability as, you know, as you know. It makes it well, a little more stressful. You also have to arrive. You also have to arrive early too. Yes. So. Yeah, I ran into that when we was uh, me and my dad flew to Washington D.C. We had to arrive early, but then as we got there, our plane was delayed, and it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And I'm like, man, we could have showed up on time when the flight was supposed to be, and we still would have made the flight. <laughs> yeah, that's a real bummer. The few times I've flown, I've spent quite a while in uh, the airport, just sitting around waiting, because I think TSA recommends two hours early for someone with a disability yeah. to show up, something around in there. And if your flight's delayed, even by 20 minutes, that adds extra time. Because it doesn't typically take two hours to go through TSA. You know, maybe 45 yeah. minutes, but... At yeah. least for me, I've I always... think the longest time was 45 minutes that I went through TSA. Oh, Lord. We sit there, and when we flew... Uh, to D.C. in our delay, we ended up, our flight was, I think it was like at 3 or 5, but we didn't fly out of there until about 9 o'clock. <laughs> I can't handle this. <laughs> so, and see, like, with not being able to see at night, like, I really like to have my flights early in the morning or in the afternoon if it's not going to be a long flight, because when I fly in the dark, it was so scary flying in the dark. To Washington D.C. and was you know coming back because we was in the nighttime at both times and it scared the living fire out of me. I mean, you're not flying the plane, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not flying the plane, but I mean, I like looking out the window, and when I can't see nothing but darkness, it freaks me out. <laughs> I mean, if it's dark and I look at a plane, if it's dark outside, I can't see at a plane window either, really. I mean, you know, yeah. unless I see lights from a city or something, but. It... <laughs> What adaptations have you had to make so you can drive? I know you've mentioned that you drive at least when it's daytime. Do you have like a certain, you know, because you said you don't have a lot of grip. Is there something you do special for the steering wheel or? Um, actually, I kind of have like a foam pad that goes around my steering wheel. And it helps me with the gripping of the steering wheel because it's a little bit thicker. So I have a little bit more um, cushion to grab onto, I guess, if that makes sense. But it's pretty much a steering wheel cover is what my dad calls it, but it's a little bit thicker than the steering wheel cover. And um, that helps with uh, driving for that. I actually, whenever I drive, regardless of if it's early in the morning, middle of the day, or getting close to nighttime, like um, when the sun's setting, I actually leave my visor down because I cannot focus on driving unless my visor is down to cut, you know, my windshield in half almost. 
because if it's up, I'm trying to focus on everything around me, not just the road. <laughs> um, so I found little things like that. Is that with your visual impairment or are you just OCD? <laughs> uh, no, well, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but uh, mainly with my visual impairment. Um, I sit there and have to have that. It helps me focus better on the road and being able to see it better um, in my depth perception. Like I have to, if I'm used to driving on the, the same road every day, like going from Brownsville to Bowling Green, I could drive that with my eyes closed. I wouldn't recommend it and I'm not going to do it, but I mean, because I know where everything's at on the road, I could do that. And I don't have to worry about how far out I'm having to turn or um, where the white line is from when I have to stop on the for the red lights and stuff like that. So I have to really pay attention to my surroundings um, because of that, because of my depth perception due to NPS. Because um, I... You know, because I kind of feel the thing of, you know, cutting the windshield in half. I drive a minivan, and a minivan has a huge windshield, basically. So if you put the visor down, you know, you basically have a normal-sized windshield then. Exactly. So there's, a, there's a little less to, I don't know, look at. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I drive a little less tan, and, I mean, the windshield's not huge like a minivan, but it is, they are pretty big, so I have to do that. And it does help focus. Like, it helps me really focus on where I'm at. I'm not trying to look at the clouds. I think that's kind of where I have a little bit of attention are you, disorder. Are right. you just imagining, you know, like, what's in the clouds? They're like, oh, that looks yeah. like, uh, like, that looks like Mickey. <laughs> yep. I'm really bad about that. If I'm in a, especially if I'm the passenger of the car, I'll do it. Like, me and my dad was going to the gym the other day, and we was looking out the window, or I was looking out the window, and I was like, hey, Dad, that looks like a whale, <laughs> the way it was shaped. I was like, it looks like a whale or like a shark or something. And he's like, oh, my God, kid. He's like, really? And I was like, yeah, I said it looks like a whale. <laughs> so, you're 21 I mean, I now. do that. No, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's like, you're no. 21. He said, and you're still seeing things in clouds. And I'm like, well, I mean, on top of that one looking like a whale or a shark, that one up there looks like the Nike swoosh sign. I mean, <laughs> come on. He's like, I can't see that. I was like, because you're not like a little kid at heart anymore. Like, you had to grow up. <laughs> so you use that to make your dad feel shame for being old. I like it. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? If I was at the pearly gates, I would hope he would, you know, tell me that I lived my life the way he expected me to, um, that I stayed strong, and he's proud of me. And he's proud of all the things and the changes that I've made in the world, whether it be small or big. I'm just I'm just hoping I've done a good job. <laughs> well, thanks again. Thank you. You have a good day, dear. You too. Have <laughs> <laughs> fun in your infusion chair. No, I'll try. <laughs> I will try my best. Hopefully it's almost done. I think I've got like maybe two more hours left. Thank God. It's almost done. I have two more hours left. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not how I would define almost done in my life, but if it works for you. <laughs> Well, I mean, to me that is because I'm normally here for like six hours, but like a big majority of it's done. Because in my life, like it's almost done. I've got like 30 more minutes. So like, I don't think I've ever said those words in that order. <laughs> it's almost done. <laughs> I've got two hours left, you know, you know, for anything. Not <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I got two more hours. So now I'll just, you know, get to working on homework, I guess. Fun old homework. Okay, well, thanks again. You have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye, dear. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to the fourth episode of Ability. I hope you enjoyed it and love it as much as I do. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can at abilitypodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at abilitypodcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at the Jacob Holt. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.